Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Welcome back, everybody, to another epic episode of For the Love of Money. I am so freaking pumped to sit down with my friend, Angie Lee, who you probably know because she is the host of the top-rated Rich Bitch Podcast. Everybody knows Angie Lee. Everywhere you look, she's all over the place. But before we get into the interview, I want to remind you that my wife's life-changing weekend event for women, The Bliss Project, is almost sold out. It's literally over 90% sold out. Only a handful of tickets left. There's going to be 500 women from eight different countries there. And that is the first spot where she is going to kick off the launch of her new book. So if you at all have been curious about going to Lori's life-changing weekend event where you find your happiness, you find your purpose, you leave an entirely different woman, go to theblissproject.info. Again, it is theblissproject.info. Grab one of those last few tickets. Check it out. You're going to absolutely love it. We will see you there. Now, speaking of epic women, I'm about to sit down with Angie Lee. And here is the really cool thing. I love her story because she went from being a college dropout who was over six figures in debt to rolling up her sleeves and doing something about it. Now, every time she launches a product, she'll do a six-figure launch each time she launches a product. So imagine going from being like buried in six-figure debt and how you're feeling and thinking like, oh my God, how am I going to get out of this to not very long later doing six-figure launches every time you launch a product. That's exactly what she does. And she teaches us a few tricks and tips on how to do it. Matter of fact, we discuss how she got out of that six-figure debt. We discuss the difference between good debt and bad debt and what to do if you feel like you're buried in it. We get granular on how to build such a strong brand. Like when you think of Angie Lee, you think of strong branding and she gives you a lot of tips around that. And then we get into how to sell anything without first having to build all these big funnels and spend crazy money on Facebook ads and Instagram ads. And we leave with her favorite moment of giving. And you have to tune into it because it is so touching. I'll give you a hint. She did it for a family member. It'll absolutely move you. So get ready, sit down, take notes, whatever it takes for you to have a crack open moment because Angie Lee's interview is fire. Angie Lee, I am so freaking excited to talk to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. I feel like for both of us living here in LA, we should see each other more than we do. I know, I know, but you did just have a pretty epic B-Day bash. So, I mean, that was amazing. That thing was awesome. I need to turn 40 like all the time. <laughs> Nothing was... makes you feel special like turning 40 apparently. <laughs> that was literally one of the best birthday parties. It was huge and it was like amazing. I mean, I did Lori put that all together? That was amazing. Yeah, Seriously. Lori and a little help from Evans. So it was, I was just, I showed up and it was one of these moments where I got to take inventory of all the great people that you have in your life. Like it's very rare that you get to put everybody in one room that you have in your life and take inventory of how lucky you are. And, and I had that moment and I remember even tearing up a little bit. I was like, this is insane. Yeah, that's the best gift. That's the best gift you could possibly get. So speaking of gifts, you are a total rock star gift to all of your followers and all of your customers, all of your clients. I can't wait to talk about that. But 
Let's start way back when you were buried in your debt story because you haven't always been this smashing success story, have you? Yeah. So it was crazy because I went to school for uh, dietetics. So I did go to a lot of schooling for that because I thought, okay, I'm going to get out and be, be a dietitian. I had this health blog and I thought, okay, I'm going to just go be a dietitian, make 40 grand a year, work 70 hours a week. Like that's just going to be what happens. But the burning desire to be an entrepreneur kept coming back and back over my, over my lifespan. So I was, when I graduated, when I was about to graduate college, I actually left college a semester early to pursue entrepreneurship. And I owned a food distribution company at the time, actually with my brother. So I literally left a semester early and went into debt from that company, went into debt from school, went into debt from essentially those two things. And I just remember thinking like, I'm literally six figures in debt. What am I going to do? And that's kind of where I got the catalyst and the passion to really monetize online. Not like, Oh, just an ebook here and there, or a course here and there. I started to take it really seriously because that is a significant amount of money to pay off. It took me about five and a half years, but yeah, I'm pretty brutally honest now about it with my, with my audience. And I've realized it's been something that a lot of women and men obviously are going through and to know that you can pay it off and it's, it's not something to hold shame around is one of my really big missions now. Describe what it felt like to be six figures in debt, like really relate to the people who are like, holy crap, this is me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I went through a few different phases with it. I went with the initial phase where I, I identified with it and I thought it was me and I thought it meant I am a failure. I'm not a good person. Who am I to do this? And I held that number above my head and I held the weight on my chest. But then I started to really throw on like hiring mentors. I realized that and, and looking at a lot of successful people, I realized that a lot of them, one, were in debt at some point in their life. And number two, I realized that it wasn't me. It was just part of me. I mean, debt isn't, and this is for everybody listening, debt isn't you. It's not your identity. It's not your first name. It's just a number in a bank account that happens to <laughs> not be what you want it to be ideally. And then three, I, I honestly didn't, um, consume myself with it too much. I was very confident that I would pay it off. I was very confident that I would figure out a way. And I always say it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it gave me fuel. And I think if I wouldn't have been in debt, I don't think I would have been as motivated. Yeah. Like it was the big catalyst that make, made you take off, right? I truly believe that debt actually is a really good thing for certain people who need a kind of like a fire under their ass to get things done. So I, I think if you're listening and you're in debt, don't think of it as a burden or something that you can't eventually overcome. And two, don't think that it, it can't, it's, it's an asset. It can actually be an asset for you. So it was a huge growing experience to learn how to pay it off. And, um, it took a while, but, um, it was, it was good because it gave me a goal. Let's talk about good debt versus bad debt. And, and just to frame the picture here, you've heard our story in the past. Lori and I woke up one day, I lost my career in corporate America, and we were full of bad debt, like credit cards and fancy cars and uh, mortgage, a mortgage on a house that we shouldn't have had. But we also had some good debt, some rental properties and some investment properties and things like that. So how do you view debt now being that you felt like you were stung by it once and it's something you overcame? Do you view good debt and bad debt or is all debt, all debt bad in your eyes? Yeah, yeah, I love this. I did an episode on this and I think bad debt to me is okay, you spent it all on, you know, trips to, I don't know, trips to Bermuda and shoes and silly things. And to be honest, my debt really wasn't that it was from one school. I mean, college obviously is very expensive. And number two, it was from, um, I was a, a half, uh, an investor in the food distribution company. So at the time I remember telling my brother when we owned it together, I said, this is a dream. I really want to start this healthy food distribution company. We obviously ended up not pursuing it and we ended up selling it. But I, I just remember telling him like, I've got to do this and I don't care if it puts me in another forty, fifty thousand $50,000 in debt. And so I, I did it. I mean, I was young, I still am young. And I think 
for me, and, and you've really been a, a great inspiration in this too, you got to take some risk to kind of figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. So I just remember at the time thinking like, I'm going to do it now when I'm young, this is the best time to do it if I'm going to put myself in more debt. So I think good debt is when you're using it for personal development, coaching, possibly going to courses or possibly going to conferences. Um, like Tony Robbins was $5,000 of that debt. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I couldn't afford to go. So I figured it out. So yeah, I think there's I think there's good debt that you know you're going to pay off and it's going to help you to grow as a business owner or as a person and then there's debt that is just kind of silly and you're just spending money. I love what you said about you were young so who cares? You could come back. Like there's where people wake up paralyzed by debt and they go to bed paralyzed by debt and they don't realize, "Hey, you're in your 20s. Hey, you're in your 30s. Like you have so much time to come back from anything. Put away the pity party and roll up your sleeves." Yeah, yeah, that's really been a huge, huge driver for me. And I think it's something that I don't want to take for granted is that when you are young, I think, and for anybody listening to this who is super young, I think it is important to know this is the time to do that. And I love inspiring other millennials to not necessarily get in debt, but to risk what you believe in. And I think it's important to put yourself on the line a little bit and burn the boats. And sometimes that does require that you go into the negative a little bit, but it doesn't mean you can't come out obviously in the positive. <laughs> so, so where did this burning desire to be an entrepreneur come from? How do you go from, I'm going to be yeah. a dietitian making 40 grand a year to, you know, turning into the seven figure oh. entrepreneur that you are? Yeah. I always, I mean, since a little girl, it always was kind of in me. My dad's a, a serial entrepreneur, uh, did even finish high school, played bankruptcy two times and then built a massive, huge business. And so i I saw him go through that as a little girl and see him start a company from literally nothing in scratch. And I saw that and I saw that it allowed him freedom to come to my soccer games and do those things. And I remember telling myself at a young age, I want to create something that allows me freedom to be with my family. And so I, I don't know. I, I think it's also the really stubbornness in me. I'm so unemployable. Like I'm so unemployable. <laughs> like I won't, I won't do, you know, what anyone else says to do. So I think for me, it's always been knowing my, my strengths of being a leader and putting things together and being a big creative and, I think also it really is the only way and one of the only ways I think to create true wealth is to at least own something of your own. I think that working at a company is just kind of a dead end. And I remember being in those college classes, sitting there and looking around and I felt like I was an alien in a, in a cage. I literally was looking around and I'm like, this is so weird. All of these people are doing this to go out and make very average money and to just like, what are, what's the purpose of all of this to make, you know, like it just doesn't make sense if you add up, if you add it up and do the math. And so it was like I had this light bulb moment one day. And I remember the day I walked in, I told my my uh, my counselor I was leaving. And she said, you know, your grades aren't doing well. And the reason my grades weren't straight A's in the dietetics program is because I was spending so much time building my audience, building the blog, learning how to monetize that I really wasn't attending class. <laughs> Mom and dad, if you're listening, they don't care. <laughs> um, so I remember the day. I literally, this is like one of my favorite stories. I walked into her office. And she said, what are you going to do? You have to decide within 48 hours if you're going to leave the program and give the spot to another girl, or are you going to stay in and stay an extra year, get your grades up? What are you going to do? And I just, this voice in me was like, this is not where you're supposed to be. You're going to go figure it out. You will figure it out. And I grabbed the piece of paper and I signed it and I left. And it was literally the best moment of my life. I cried. I was so happy. And I just knew that I would figure it out regardless of, of going through that program. And so that's kind of where it could pull, like the, that, that moment, everything kind of just changed when I walked out of the office. I mean, and she thought I was crazy because she thought, what else are you going to do with your life? So I just, it's kind of been a lot of, uh, a lot of bold moments. It's amazing because those bold moments, they really have to be your own. There's way too many people out there that will give you advice that is, you know, they mean well, 
But the problem is their perspective is so damn limited, their advice sucks. And so you have to have those lone soldier moments where you're like, everyone is saying I should go left. My gut tells me right. I'm going right. Yeah, and this isn't to say college is horrible. You know, I, I, I'm a believer that in 2018, now I don't think it's for everyone. And I think there's so many ways to maximize who you are and monetize without it. So I'm actually not a huge fan of it anymore, but it doesn't mean that if you feel aligned to it or it's for you, you know, if you feel like it's right for you, it could be a good decision. But I just think that if you know in your gut, you're born to be an entrepreneur and you just know if you have the bug in you, you're going to feel like you're in jail when you're in school and it might not be the best decision or the thing that you need to do to be successful. So I just knew it was like this voice that was like, get out of there. You're going to go do other stuff. And I just left. (laughs) You and I are two great examples that you can still make millions and drop out of college (laughs) or in my case, get kicked out. Oh, you got kicked out. Okay. Oh, I got booted. Oh. They're like, dude, you are literally not welcome here anymore. And I'm like, but no, wait, I can pay tuition. They're like, no, you're really not welcome here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember literally being in tests. God, I hope one of my teachers listens to my episodes or your episodes one day. I would be in a test, like a like an anatomy exam, and I would be answering emails or like responding to like readers or followers and, and be giving out content while I was in a test because I just didn't want to be there. (laughs) Like, that's like horrible. Like I did not deserve to be there. Oh my God. That's too funny. Okay. So you turn out to be a success story. And one of the things you do so well, and actually it's funny, Lori and I were talking about this this morning. We're looking up top podcasts and we saw you and your branding and your tile. Congrats by the way. And, um, what you do so well is you build brand so well. You're so good at branding. Like you're one of the people I pull up. I'm like, no, do it like her, do it like her. Here's the problem. And here's my question right now. We live in this era where it's really exciting. It's really sexy to be an entrepreneur, except I feel like four out of five people are entrepreneurs. Like they build an Instagram page and maybe they have a little bit of graphic arts behind it, but they're not doing shit. What's the difference between being an entrepreneur and turning out to be a success story like you and being a entrepreneur and just kind of doing the song and dance, but there's no meat behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, the show is called for the love of money. I think, uh, it, this sounds a little harsh, but I think if you're actually monetizing, you know, and not to say that you have to right away, because of course it takes time to figure out your strengths and monetize a bit. But I think a, a real business and a real entrepreneur is making money. I know some people don't agree with that, but I think that to a certain extent, you can only be doing it so long. So yeah, there's a lot of people on Instagram that kind of want to be and whatnot, but they don't actually want to put in the work to, um, convert that audience. Cause it's one thing to build an audience. It's another thing to actually convert them and to make the sale, whether that's a product, a program, a service, um, whether you're network marketing, I mean, you've got to actually then take that audience and then monetize them. So I think the difference is there's some Instagram people or whatever that are just, you know, doing it for fun. And then they don't actually want to monetize the audience. So when people are stuck, they're like, hey, I may not be making a lot of money right now, but I really do want to do the work. How did they get unstuck? Mm, that's such a good question. I think what's what's key right now is, and I, I love this from uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He's like my, my soul animal, but I, <laughs> spirit <laughs> animal. I think, I think you really have to hone in on your strengths. We live in a time where everybody's business is so visible, so comparisonitis is heightened, and I think that it's important for listening to this to say, Oh my gosh, what is it that I do really, really well? And how can I bring that to the surface and maximize that? Because I think a lot of us, what we're doing is we're spending so much time watching other people's shit. We're spending so much time comparing and maybe I should do that. And that's a good idea. And I think that just wastes time. And I know at least for me, 2018 is like, I have blinders on. I don't really watch what a lot of other people are doing. 
And I think that's where you really maximize and monetize is when you are doing something even 10% different than your competition and you're just really focusing on what you do best because we all have strengths and weaknesses. We only have so much time. We might as well do what we do really well. Like you and I know, okay, we're good communicators. Let's do podcasting. That, that was a quick decision and reaction. I'm not going to go do something I'm not good at. So I think a lot of people, if you're a brand new entrepreneur in the online space, I think you also need to figure out what are you really, really good at? That's, that's my big passion right now is helping people figure out their strengths as well. You said 2018, you're doing things different. What is one thing you're doing different? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm diving a little bit into, um, the, the YouTube space. And I think I have some visions for a show that no one else is doing and, and something there's a white space for. So that's kind of what I mean by being 10% different. I think there's a lot of people on social doing all the same thing and the same kind of picture. And I think, um, if you can shake it up a little bit, or if someone listening, you have an idea of something that maybe there is a white space, I think you should dive into it because they say, and, and you've probably heard this quote too, in marketing, you only have to be 10% different than your competition or the other people, obviously uh, to stand out. And I think that that requires you being just fully who you are too and bringing your personality into your brand. I noticed you did not describe what you're doing with YouTube, yeah. what this white space is. So I'm so intrigued now. I can't wait to see what it is. That's, you know, we talk about doing things different. Lori and I hired a full-time videographer uh, on staff that starts Monday coming up. And that's what we committed to doing differently was we need way more video content than what we have right now. So we're just going to throw it up there and see what sticks and have fun with it. That's amazing. Is it going to be for, for YouTube or where, where are you going to put it? Uh, YouTube, but we'll also chop it up and repurpose it into all sorts of clips for the podcast and Instagram and everything else. Here's what well, I know. You can repurpose video content in so many ways that if you're not doing video content right now, you're falling behind. Absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, Facebook live was a huge part of the driver for my business and now even Instagram and the podcast. But I mean, if, I always tell people if you're not on video, and or you have some sort of audio platform, you cannot expect people to buy from you. That is absolutely ludicrous. You have to be visible for people to buy from you. And yes, that's scary, but you cannot expect someone to purchase a program or anything from you if they've never seen you or heard, uh, heard you. Have you always been comfortable on camera? Yeah. So I, I, before I went into dietetics, I was um, doing broadcast journalism. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I, I can't lie and say I, I, I do love the camera. I um, wanted to be the weather girl. <laughs> dietetic school. Thank God I'm not the weather girl right now. <laughs> that is funny. So what about the people who are not naturally comfortable on the camera? Do you have advice for them? Yeah, I get this question a lot. I think that's, I think anybody can get good at anything that they're willing to practice. I really, really do. Um, so you may not be this person who is like super charismatic on camera and it comes naturally, but it doesn't mean that you still can't learn to hone your strengths and bring that to the camera and you'll attract the audience who gets you and likes you. Um, and I think the more you do it, like anything, it gets, it gets easy. I'm sure there's a ton of online entrepreneurs right now who hate the camera, but they know, all right, this is a necessary part of the business that I need to do in order to create more intimacy with my audience. They, there's parts of this business, you know, with what you guys do too, that you just maybe don't want to do, but you know that it's probably best if you do do it. So you kind of suck it up and do it. So I, yeah, I think knowing if you're listening to this, I know a lot of people are afraid of the camera, know that it, it gets easier the more you do it. And the fear diminishes the more you do it as well. So yeah, repetition makes everything better, doesn't it? Yeah, that's such a good way to say it. I love that repetition makes everything better and easier and not as scary. And, you know, and when you get on camera, remind yourself too, that it's not about you. Like when I go live, it's not about me. Like, Oh, look at my hair. Look, that's not really what it's about. It's about the message and it's about helping someone. So when you, it's almost like being less selfish sometimes when you're on camera and remembering that it's about who you're speaking to, that can kind of help to diminish some of the anxiety too. 
So you're a huge, huge believer in multiple streams of income. And so are we over here. I feel like you never want all your eggs in one basket. Talk to me about why you're such a staunch believer in multiple streams of income. Yeah, I, I believe that it's this, I'm not someone to play it safe. So I don't even know why I said safe, but I think it's the smart, I guess the smartest way to really maximize and to monetize. It was about what, 12, 15 months ago that I started adding in more affiliate marketing, more passive courses. And I realized that even just adding in affiliate marketing, I have a shop that does really well with merchandise. And I just realized like, wait, by adding in just a few different things that don't take me too much like uh, effort or I should say, or energy, you really can, can maximize. And I was so against it for a while, but now I truly believe that if you guys are owning a personal brand online, why not do multiple things, especially if you can do them well and get help and, I just think it's so important to have a few things working for you because you never know, like obviously when one of them is going to go down and you don't want to rely on one thing ever to make you money. I, I don't think that's smart. And I think any wealthy person will tell you they have a few things working for you. It's not just one thing, <laughs> obviously do one thing really well and go deep into that and, and focus on that. But I think once you, once you've mastered one thing, you can absolutely go on to the next and add more things to, to your plate. So if you're listening right now, I think thinking of at least one thing, whether that's network marketing, affiliate marketing courses, Think of something that you can add on to what you're already doing. What are those? Let's get granular. In your opinion, for people that have a little extra time and a little bit of an audience, what are the mm -hmm. best side hustles to monetize right now? One of my favorites, obviously, network marketing. I know you guys are huge fans of if that is a good fit for them, if they aligned with a supplement brand or a wellness brand, definitely consider that and, and tap into that. But if not, what I love about affiliate marketing is Amazon is amazing in that everybody and their grandma buys from Amazon. And what's so cool is it's so easy to set up. And essentially what you're doing is any product that's on there that you use, that you share with your audience, you get a cut of every single sale. You can also be an affiliate marketer for your for programs. And I do it mostly for friends or other influencers, but let's say that you're brand new to building an online brand and you know of someone, I mean, people, I'm surprised more people don't even reach out to me and say, Hey, can I be an affiliate marketer for you? I have a few people in mind and a lot of affiliate marketers pay out sometimes 50% of the sale. And that can be really nice. So I would say take some time to research a little bit more on affiliate marketing um, and merchandise and shops do really well as well. So yeah, I'm kind of a big affiliate marketer right now. I've realized it's been one of the most incredible things I've ever done. I mean, I'll make an extra six figures this year, literally just from affiliate marketing, which is AKA me just saying like, Hey, this is the camera I use. This is the soap I use. This is the organicness I use, like just random stuff. <laughs> and so I think if you give it time and you actually do integrate it into your brand, affiliate marketing can work very, very well. I think a lot of people out there don't even know it exists. Like they've heard the term, but they don't realize that when someone has a thousand dollar e-course or a $500 e-course or thousand dollar event tickets, you can be an affiliate marketer for them, sell five, 10, 15, 20 of them to your audience and get 50% of that revenue. I mean, that could be some serious budget changing income for your average family out there. Yeah. And it should be another driver and motivation to keep building an audience because if, yeah, for example, if I'm referring, let's say, 10 girls to my friend's program, her program's, you know, $4,000, I receive 2K of that. There's an extra, you know, 10 to 20 grand I'm making just in a week or two, literally from just referencing someone and connecting people. And it feels good, too, because I know I'm doing something good. It's going to help both parties. And I think that that does come with, obviously, you have to have an audience and leverage or an email list. But I think it's important for you listening to know that that's, that's a good motivator to keep building a good, quality, engaged audience. Be careful with affiliate marketing and that you don't want to do it 24-7 for everything all the time because <laughs> you can't support every product under the sun. You, you should be picky because it, this is 
it's a serious thing. And I, I remember someone telling me that, you know, be very cautious about who you accept to refer to too, because if it's something you don't genuinely like and you're sending your people there, that's not good. So always be ethical, obviously, with your affiliate marketing. But every single person listening to this right now, within 20 minutes, you can set up an Amazon shop. You might as well send it to your family and friends if they need a new TV. I mean, they're, they're, you can basically start making commissions on Amazon within a few minutes once you set it up, which is nice. I love it. I love it. So staying on this topic of making money, recently you really kind of cracked the code on six-figure launches. You know, we have a lot of listeners that launch e-courses and events and, uh, you know, you name it, digital products. You've cracked the code on six-figure launches, but doing it in an untraditional way, like not building big funnels, not building huge email lists and not spending tens of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of have been interviewed a lot as like organic marketing ninja and I didn't even realize like what was going on. But I, I think what I said to myself is I'll be okay. I'll be really honest. What happened is I just didn't want to set up ads because I was like, Oh, it's too much work. I don't want to hire someone yet. This is about two years ago. I was like, ah, whatever. And I kind of put it on the back burner, not realizing that was going to be a huge asset to me. And I said, I'm just going to show up for my audience in the most authentic and intimate way and get my butt on live video so much and so that they could see and get to know me and, and launch these episodes on this podcast so that I won't have to pay a lot for advertising. And it can work. Is, is it to say I'm against ads? No, I think there's a time and place once you've generated revenue in your business. Yes, you should put money into ads, but I just showed up authentically for them. There was no crazy tripwire. There was no upsell. There was no crazy funnels. It really was me just saying, hey, this is who I am. I would give a ton of value. And then at the end, I give a very organic CTA, which I basically, they couldn't even really tell I was selling. I would just say like, Hey, if this is something that was helpful for you, I'm actually launching a course that's centered around this. And then it, it, it worked. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds kind of like too easy to be true, you know, too good to be true. But I think that, that hopefully you guys listening to this know that the power of video, like we kind of mentioned a few minutes ago, the power of video can literally sell and, and it's, it's amazing. The power of video can do so well for you. I couldn't agree more. And you just gave us a great overview concept of how to do it. Do you mind getting even more granular? Like teach us just one or two really cool things. Like where are specific places that people can start getting on video and selling? Or what should they be saying? What should their call to action look like? You know, is there, is there a certain amount of time you should be teaching and then a call to action? Like just give us a couple cool nuggets. Yeah. So what I've noticed does really, really well. I actually have a formula. I call it like my six step organic selling online video formula. And what I've noticed is one, Facebook groups are fantastic. And the fact that yes, you can have your own, but check out Facebook groups that you, that they do allow you to promote. And some of them obviously don't want you to just go in there and spam and say, Hey, I've got a sale page. Like here's a sales page. No, I think that's corny. I think always lead with value. So what I would do when I, would launch, when I was launching the courses, I would say to myself, where is my avatar already hanging out? Where is this girl? Okay, she's probably in these top 10 uh, groups or communities or what hashtags is she using? So then when I did post that live video or shared into a group, I would get women from those groups that had hundreds, I mean, some of those had thousands of people in them. They would then direct message me or reach out to me or email me and say, hey, I saw you're live in this other entrepreneurial group. I really loved the value or the tips you gave. Can I hear more about what you do. So I basically tease them a lot. I call it like teaser marketing where I would give value in other communities or get on, you know, other shows or whatever, give value. And then they would come over and, and say, what is it you do? And so I think that's powerful with video. And I think it's also important to start your video with a captivating story, start it with a juicy pain point question, really getting your audience engaged right away. Um, because within the first 10 seconds of a live video, especially if you don't capture their attention, it's kind of 
it's gone. <laughs> people, people have very short attention spans now. So I do think it's important that once you get on the live video to know that if this human doesn't feel like this is for them, they're out. So you need to first identify, okay, who is this for? Who's this video for? Who are you? Give yourself a call to credibility really quick. Give three to four bullets, give some juicy, uh, give some juicy information and then ending it with a place for them to go. Don't just end the video and say, Oh, love you guys. Bye. I think it's always important to tell your audience where to go because if you don't, they won't go anywhere. So whether that's, Hey, you know, tell me below something you're struggling with or, Hey, head over to my Facebook group or, Hey, the link below to join my email list. I mean, you have to give them something. So I'm a huge fan of always giving a call to action. Even if it's something to something free, it doesn't, that doesn't always mean paid call to action, but telling them what to do. What is it that you want them to do? What was the purpose of the live video and being consistent? So Facebook favors you. If you're consistent on live video, the algorithm likes when you're consistent. So it's good to do it a few days a week for a few minutes versus just once a month here and there. Um, and what it does is Mark Zuckerberg's smart. Obviously he's probably going to be running ads on the live soon, but he, I know, right. I just know he's going to do it. I think what is important is that once after you go live, your page is quote unquote primed. It's, it's ready to receive more engagement. So any post you do after that live video actually does really, really well, or it'll do better than it usually has, or your wall usually has. So what I strategically did is I would know, okay, if my wall is now primed and it's done really, really well because of all these consistent lives. Now, any other post after that, that possibly is a more of a sales post quote unquote, or trying to get them to go purchase something, it would do better and it would receive more engagement. So yeah, I think, listen, if you guys are listening right now and you're trying to grow uh, your Facebook community or anything video and getting on live while it's ad free is the smartest thing you can do right now. <laughs> yes. I couldn't agree more. You just gave so much gold. Like that is insane value. I hope everyone like goes back, listens again, because that alone, they could boost their business or take it from zero to making significant money with those tips. So yeah, we're, we're not. Live. I think people should be on Instagram live too and save your videos. Like we were saying before, save your video. You never know how you could repurpose that. So um, yeah, save your videos. You never know what you could do with that. Maybe turn it into a podcast. <laughs> Epic advice. So let me ask you this. Um, you, you are one of the hottest podcasts out there. It's called Rich Bitch Podcast. And so obviously it deals with money and you're very unapologetic about making money. Why, where did you get that swagger from? Like, why are you so unapologetic? Cause people would love to be like that, but they're tucking their tail between their legs. <laughs> they're tucking their tail. I just, I just envisioned uh, waffles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. Although waffles is pretty unapologetic. She's got swagger. Unapologetic about success. Um, you know, I think it, I think it, I don't know. That's such a good question. No one's ever asked me that. I think it's says something that you, kind of just develop over time and you kind of realize that if you're not confident about what you do, no one else is going to be. And you have to be your biggest cheerleader, honestly. And it's hard because sometimes when you own your own personal brand, it can feel, my gosh, it can feel lonely. You're doing this all by yourself. You're building this vision and your friends and family might think you're crazy in the beginning, but you have to be your biggest cheerleader because if you're not, how do you expect people to buy from you or follow you if you don't love what you do? And so I kind of always remind myself that if I'm not the most enthusiastic, passionate person about what I do, I can't expect other people to be. Who thought you were crazy when you were starting out? Um, you know what? Uh, more friends. My family didn't because my parents always knew I would I would kind of go do my own thing and, and always create something out of nothing, creating just multiple businesses. But I I think um I think it was more friends. They would be like, What are you doing? or blogging's not gonna do anything, or why would you do that? People aren't gonna read you know, people don't read blogs, and this was like six, seven years ago when social media wasn't as hot, but I, I just had this idea and I feel like you guys did as well as a couple that, you know, I knew it was going to blow up. I knew it was be, going to become the new media. And so I knew it was worth my time to, to build an audience and to give effort into that. 
so yeah, people will think it's crazy, but I think anytime people think you're crazy, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So how did you transcend those friends? Cause here's where I feel like people get held back the most. They've got their idea. They believe in it. They're even ga- gaining some momentum, but they have people in their life that they are afraid to transcend cause they don't want to hurt their feelings. How did you transcend those friends that were not pushing you towards your goals? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. I, I think what happens naturally as you grow up, I think you kind of just it filters and it and you phase out and they understand that you're really on to not bigger and better things, but I'm, I, I only want to surround myself with people who truly are going to support me in that vision and who are positive thinkers. So I love going to events, conferences, masterminds. I think that's really where, and that's why I think masterminds are so powerful and that you're making friends with people who believe in you. And sadly, a lot of people who get into entrepreneurship don't have that. They don't have that level of love and and trust in people believing in them and they don't have a cheerleader. And so sometimes, yeah, that doesn't require investing and whatnot, but you have to find your cheerleaders. It could be a virtual cheerleader, (laughs) a virtual mentor. It could be going to Tony Robbins. It could be a mastermind, but you got to find at least, you know, two to three people who truly believe in what you do. I totally agree. Now you are, you know, having gotten to know you well over the past couple of years, you're an incredibly generous person. You love giving back. What role has generosity played in your success? Yeah, you know, I think that's being so young, it's interesting. I love that your show is so focused on money and purpose and generosity because I think when I envisioned making really good money or what I thought would be, you know, really good money, I, I always envisioned I thought it would make me want to want little frivolous things and, and it, you know, of course here and there there's things that you want nice things, but it's truly the most satisfying thing when you know that you can give that back to someone who really needs it, such as family or loved ones. I think that's been the most fulfilling thing ever for me. And, um, I think that's what money is truly for. Yeah. Houses, cars, everything is nice. And that's kind of a side thing. But I think that, um, when you can give it back to someone who needs it and there's been over the last few years when family members who needed it and loved ones and, to be able to pull out a checkbook and literally not stress about it and say, here you go, here's 10 grand, here's 20 grand. I mean, that's literally irre- irreplaceable. And so that to me is is really the driver right now. Do you have a favorite moment of giving? And, and I just want to frame it. It's not bragging. We really aim to inspire brand new ideas of how to give or cool ways to give to all of our listeners as they start to become more successful. So do you have a like a favorite moment of giving? Yeah. So <laughs> this is so funny because it just happened. So this is so ironic that I'm on the show right after it happened. Um, crazy, crazy. So over the last few years, I've really had this vision to, um, give my mom a check for just a big chunk of money. I, I always wanted to, she's obviously been my mom, the most supportive cheerleader, the best person ever, always never doubted me, always there if I needed help here and there. And in the beginning of my business helped out so much. And so, um, I, I literally this Christmas, it was what December 23rd. I went there early, went back to Chicago to see her and we're, <laughs> she had to drop something off at the bank. And I'm like, I think this is what I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. And so we're sitting there at the bank. She had to deposit something and I pull out my checkbook and she's like, what are you doing? And I literally like was getting like, ner- like I was so excited and nervous because I had this idea. I'm like, this is the moment I'm going to do this. I'm at a point where I could literally just hand this to her and I handed it to her and she just started I mean, she started bawling and she started crying. And I just remember looking at her and I was like, this is for you. And she's like, what are you, is this a joke? And I was like, no, this is not a joke. It's a real check. <laughs> I'm like, go cash it before I take back this idea. But I remember going in the car with her. She hugged me, she cried. And I just looked at her and I remember, I was just like, 
I don't, I, I, all I know, I don't have everything figured out in life. I'm still super young. I have a lot to figure out, but I know that that was one of the best moments of my entire life. And I, I hope to continuously do that and and with my children and, and who knows, but I think that that is truly the best feeling in the world. And she, just to see your mom cry, I mean, it was the best feeling ever. So I can only imagine that is epic. I remember seeing you post, um, about that and it was just like the sweetest moment ever. Yeah. Yeah. She just wouldn't stop crying in front of this random guy at the bank, the bank teller. And I'm like, Oh my God, mom, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am, is she robbing you? Do we need to like call security? Yeah. He was like, what's going on? I was like, Oh my God, this is too funny. And it's just, yeah, it's great. I mean, I know you've had those moments too and it's, it's the best feeling in the world. So I think that motivates me to continuously be successful and to generate wealth is to then keep doing that and give back. Mm, That is so cool. So before I ask you the last signature question, um, where can people find you? You got so much yeah. going on. What's where's the best place for people to connect with you and what like what's coming up for you? What should they be asking you for? Yeah, yeah. So um you're already on iTunes listening to this probably. So head on over to Rich Bitch and check it out. I think you guys will love it. Um so check me out on iTunes and then I'm really um anticipating that twenty eighteen will be some live events. I really want to do some more live events and retreats and meetups. So that's kind of on the radar for me. And blowing up the podcast some more because it's the most, I mean, podcasting is the best. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. If you do a live event and guys are allowed to speak, I totally want to speak there. Yeah, wait, that's a good idea. Yes, 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 yes. Or we could yeah. throw together a money event. That'd be fun. Oh, that would be fun. A female and male, ooh, money event. Yeah, mindset. Mm-hmm. I mean, limiting beliefs and blocks. That would be, that would actually, that's amazing. You guys, we just came up with this. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone. You you heard it here. I freaking love it. Okay, last question. For the love of money, rich bitches. (laughs) Yes. There we go. There we go. We might have to pare that thing down a little bit. Okay. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? Mm, Yeah. I've listened to the show a million times, so I knew this was coming. (laughs) Um, I, I truly believe it goes kind of hand in hand with the story I told you in that I used to feel shame and guilt around wanting to make a lot of money and tell people about wealth and success. And I realized that Um, with the ability to create wealth, you have the ability then to give back and serve. And I think, you know, I think Cole talks about this a lot, like meaning behind money. And I just think that you should be unapologetic about the fact that by generating wealth, you're now able to give back to people and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that you can't give if you have an empty cup, so you might as well (laughs) focus on how you can build that first. And I think, you know, a lot of people think that uh, rich people are, are, bad people or they're greedy or they're selfish or they're not good people. And I hear that all the time, that, that, that money block just everywhere. And I think that, like you've said before, I think my wealthy friends, quote unquote, are some of the most abundant, amazing, heartfelt people I know. So I think that it's time to really rewrite that, that money story. <laughs> I love it. Angie Lee, great answer. All your answers are so much value for everybody. I just, I appreciate the daylights out of you and I hope you know that. Thank you so much, Chris. Chris, I love it. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here and I'm grateful for all the work that you put out into the world. Absolutely. My pleasure. Let's keep doing it together. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.